when you, um, we had blue homework last time, and uh, I hope that it was helpful to stop, go back, reflect on what Tom taught us from Matthew 5 and through 7. There was so much there that could probably be about a year's worth of lessons. But I think that was helpful. You're able to find a piece of it there to use, to carry with you and hang on to and keep growing from. I really uh, enjoyed the looking ahead section where we spent some time looking at Proverbs 4. Wasn't that remarkable how this father is appealing to his son? I mean, just listen to some of the verbs here. Give attention. Don't abandon. Hold fast. Keep. Acquire. Don't forget. Don't turn away. Don't forsake. Love wisdom. Prize wisdom and understanding. Hear and accept these things. Take hold of instruction. And uh, it was really helpful for me to see the earnestness with which the writer of this chapter in Proverbs was appealing to his son to listen to the wisdom that he was giving him and the wisdom of God's word here. And so that's my prayer this morning. I want to go before the Lord and pray that we would have, bring that same heart of earnestness to incline our ears and not just to listen, but to love it and acquire it and take hold of it and not forget it. Um, because these are, this is, these are words of life. This is God's word that Jacob's going to be bringing to us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day that you have caused your son to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. Father, what evidence of your mercy that the sun is rising again today. Thank you for the great mercy shown to us through your son and that we have the privilege of being washed in his blood and made one under his headship. Thank you that you make us members of one another. Thank you so much that we can be here together. And Lord, I do pray that you would give us each that same earnest intentional heart to listen today, to heed it, to love, to treasure your word, that we would be transformed to be more like your son, to be more useful instruments in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Jacob. Back there because it gets less rattled noises. Um, yeah, we like to take it at least a short break somewhere in the middle, and we will end by 8:30 for okay. the half-hour discussion. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you guys so much for having me here. And this is seriously one of the highlights of every of the year for me is. Uh, getting to come and preach this to my own heart. Uh, I know that many of you have already heard uh, this, this lesson. Some of you may not have. But I'll tell you what, each year, now even in, in Build and both Wellsprings, I, I get to teach Proverbs 4.23. And I'm excited because every year I need it. And every time I teach it, I realize how much more and more I need it than I even realized. Let's uh, open up your Bibles to Proverbs 4.23. 
you may already have it memorized. Um, if you don't, you'll definitely have it memorized by the end of, end of today. The Proverbs 4.23 reveals, which is, <coughs> teaches, which is the, the imperative, the importance of shepherding your own heart. I'm so grateful, the elders are so grateful that that's been internalized at Grace Bible Church. Right, like at, at small groups, I can't tell you how often in the midst of a trial, somebody says, how are you shepherding your heart? Or, or we recognize that when there's problems in our, in our spiritual walk, problems in our relationship, the diagnosis is instantly made by so many people in our church, which is, well, what's going on in your heart? And that's, that's what this reveals. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next hour and a half. And I'm so grateful that these words, like shepherd your heart, guard your heart, Shepherd your home, shepherd your ministry. These things have have become part of the language of Grace Bible Church. That's done on purpose. I, the Bible puts this emphasis on, on the heart and the need to shepherd, the need to care for, guard your heart. We've done the same, but it's crazy how things like that, words that you just say all the time, grace, gospel, have you seen how those can sometimes, you say them, and at one time they meant a lot? And if you're not careful, the words have no substance to them after a while. Right? They're shorthand, and you forget what they're shorthand for. Shepherding your heart can, can become like that, especially when it's just sort of the, the language of the church. So this should be your language. Don't shy away from talking about, oh, I need to guard my heart. I need to shepherd my heart in small group, challenge each other, and wellspring, challenge each other, challenge your own self. How am I doing shepherding my heart, guarding my heart? But I hope that today will uh, we'll help you maybe understand what that entails, what that actually means, what you're guarding your heart from, and what you're guarding your heart to. So... It, that's why it, it creates vouchers the, the heart, right? The, the wellspring, the build ministry that we want everybody to be in. Discipline one that you can't graduate from. It's not like, oh, I've done this for 10 years. I get to move on to something else. You, you don't move on. You don't ever play leapfrog over this discipline, which is shepherding your heart. All right, so we cannot, we must not ever play leapfrog over our hearts. As we live our Christian life, these terms must become part of your, your normal everyday language, part of your prayer in the morning. God, use my time in your word this morning to guard my heart from sin, guard my heart to you. Pray that way, talk that way. Um, but, but I hope that today really helps inform, like I said, inform what you mean when you say those things. Before I get in, let's, oh, um, let's pray together. I need, I need help. And really, you need help. Um, we all need help anytime we open up God's Word. It's not, right, we don't need help necessarily to understand what these words mean. But without God, there's no way our hearts are going to submit to them. Right? You don't need to be regenerate to understand what the sentence means, but you need to be regenerate to say, this is God's word. I want it to apply to my life and, and for it to actually make a difference. This is We are dependent, so let's express that now. God, I, I beg that as we have your word open in front of us, 
God, I beg that as I speak, as I seek to expose the truth of your word, please guard my words, keep them true. Guide my words, help me to be clear. And God, I beg that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and cause us to worship you. God, I, I pray that you would grant us understanding by your spirit. And Holy Spirit, please, please grant my heart and the heart of my hearers, grant us a submissive posture before you as we approach your word. These are your words contained in scripture. God, they have the power that, the same power that when you spoke brought all things into existence and God, for all who were saved, when, when you spoke the same words that said, let light shine out of darkness, you've now shown into our heart to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, I beg that my words would be faithful to your words. Transform us, sanctify us, maybe even save some, as your word is preached this morning. And God, please use this message this morning to make me guard my heart more diligently. In Jesus' name, amen. So look down at Proverbs 4.23 in your Bibles. Sorry. It's, it's an incredibly simple but profound passage. It has a simple but profound truth. My kids can understand this. You can understand this. And armed with this simple truth, you're going to understand the importance for the battle for your heart. Right? You're going to be better equipped to pursue God and better equipped to fight sin. You'll be better equipped to shepherd your heart, your home, and your ministries. Proverbs 4.23 basically says, Guard your heart above all else, because it's the source of life. So there's three parts, and this is the outline. Three parts to the verse. You can think about it this way. Look down and see if you can figure out which parts those are. There's a what, or a command. There's a how, and a why. So look, see if you can identify those. So the what, or the command, it's, it's a command that Solomon, the wise father, has for his son. And what is it? What's the command? It's guard your heart. The other English translations render the Hebrew uh, keep your heart or watch over your heart. Or like I said, simply guard your heart. And how is it that the son is supposed to guard his heart? What's the, the way in which he's to do it? With all diligence, above all else. With all vigilance. And then why is he to do it? Why, why does the son, why is it so important that he guards his heart, keeps his heart above all else? Well, because it's the very source of his life. It's the wellspring. Right? That's, that's why we call this wellspring. It's, it's all about your heart. It's the source from which all in your life flows. And we must keep it with all vigilance. So let's start this morning by looking at the why of Solomon's command. 
And we're going to look at what it means for the heart to be the well or the source from which all other behaviors spring. We're going to look at some of the implications of that. Have you ever sinned and thought, of course you've sinned, after you sin, maybe out of the blue it feels. You look at that and you say, where did that come from? Right, you explode at your roommates or short temper with your spouse, anger at your children, entertaining or acting on sin- sinful fantasies, laziness, lying, gossip, <coughs> sharp speech, fill in the blank. Think, think right now, don't just think of sin in general, but think of your sin in particular. Where did that come from? Well, you know the answer, right? Proverbs tells us you know it. Sin, indeed everything you do, good or bad, every action, every thought, deed, or word, you can think of it like water that's flowed from the wellspring of your heart. And Proverbs 4.23 will help us get to the root of these sins prepare us and guide us to the great gospel solution of the heart of the problem, and then teach us how to walk in purity of life. So the inspired Solomon, he gives that profound illustration for your life. Everything you do, think, say, it's flowing water. And it all has a common source, the wellspring. It obviously isn't your physical blood-pumping heart, but the Bible uses the term heart, as you guys know, to describe your most inner you, the source of all that you do, think, and are. And this simple statement has profound consequences. It, it reveals the relationship between our hearts and our actions. So you, you must get this. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. Okay, there, There's no part of the way that you live that flows from anything other than your heart. Or put another way, there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. Think on those two statements and the implications that that has for your day-to-day, your day-to-day, or your, your life in general. There's no part of the way that you live that doesn't flow from your heart. And there's no part of your life that your heart does not affect. Can't compartmentalize your behaviors. So the image here is of a city's vital water source. Pure water at the source can provide everyone in the city with pure water. What happens if that source is contaminated? If the well is filled with poison? Then there'd be no hope for pure water. And this is a problem because the Bible describes our natural hearts in some pretty unflattering terms. Consider Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? And turn with me to Genesis 6.5. Consider that God, that Yahweh saw the wickedness in man's heart, and 
he was moved to kill everything living on the earth. Except Noah and his family, the animals on the ark. Genesis 6.5. This is God's assessment of the human heart. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. That And highlight this, underline it, know this. Every intention of his heart was only evil continually. The flood didn't fix that problem, right? That description of man's unregenerate heart as only evil continually, it's still just as true today. Apart from Christ, it's just as true of you. So if there's no part of your life that does not flow from this wellspring, and this wellspring is deceitful, desperately sick, and only evil continually, based on Proverbs 4.23, what would you expect to come from a woman with this evil life source? A poisoned well only produces poisoned water. And a wicked, unrighteous heart can only produce wicked, unrighteous actions. And always consistent with itself and the truth of God's of, of Scripture, we, we find that this is exactly what God's assessment is in His Word. Right? So if you take Genesis 6-5, only evil continually. Proverbs 4-23, the heart is the wellspring of life. Right? You already can anticipate exactly what Romans 3-10-12 says. And that's biblical math. Romans 3-12, quoting Psalm 14-1-3, says... No one is righteous. No, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. And that totally makes sense. Right? If your heart's wicked, only evil continuously. And... No part of your life is left unaffected by your heart. Now nothing that you can do is good. No one naturally has a good heart. And no one, no not one, does good before God. Apart from God's work in his heart. We are a bunch of wicked people as humanity. With unrighteous lives. Because we have wicked hearts. So this is the description of unregenerate man living in an unmixed, sinful condition. But remember, God doesn't leave the Christian in this situation. He doesn't say, clean up your life. Because that doesn't work without change from the heart, right? So speaking of the new covenant with Israel, that Christian Gentiles get to, get to enjoy as well. God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see who the subject is of every sentence there? You can feel it. 
I will give you a new heart. I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. God promised Israel that he will someday give them a heart transplant. And that would be their only hope for, clean, for cleansing, right? This hasn't yet happened for Israel, but it's what God does when he saves us. Right? To ask somebody with a wicked heart that affects every part of their life, hey, clean yourself up, do good. That's like walking up to a dead body and saying, live. It's incapable in and of itself to do what, what's commanded. So, without holiness, none will see the Lord. If God, if all these commands to glorify God with your life are in Scripture, apart from heart change, we're just as helpless as the dead corpse is. We're just as helpless to do good as a dead corpse is to live. We needed God. We need God. And what vivid imagery this is of, of the heart and the heart transplant in Ezekiel, right? Um, I get to, I have a sweet job, I get to give anesthesia every day, and get to give anesthesia to a lot of people with really bad hearts. And so when you see bad hearts, you get to see just how good a, a healthy heart is. But it's sobering to see what happens to a body when a heart goes bad. Blood just stops flowing effectively, and the whole body goes bad. God designed healthy hearts to be nice and elastic. The more blood pours in, the more it stretches and the harder it can squeeze. It stretches as, as the venous blood pours in, and then it, it just pours, it oxygenates that blood and, and gives it all to the rest of the body. And this is happening all the time. You don't even think about it. And that's why, right? A healthy heart is the reason why your kidneys are working right now. Your brain's working right now. Your liver's doing its job. When you see somebody with a heart gone bad, you start getting kidney failure. You start getting brain. It just doesn't look right. They look like death. That supple and powerful heart, it literally becomes like stone. It's just sort of passive. The blood passively moves through it. Um, the heart won't stretch. No. The heart pumps weakly. The organs are starved, cognitive function deteriorates, lungs fill with fluid, kidneys shut down, muscles refuse to work. The body is totally incapacitated in weakness and lethargy, ultimately leading quickly uh, to a miserable death. And it's remarkable to see how that dying body is rejuvenated with a heart transplant. If you see it, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who's gotten a heart transplant. They're on the verge of death. Everything in their body just looks like death. You put in a new heart, brain quickens, kidneys start working, lungs work, kidney filter or liver filters blood, life comes back. And if that stony heart physically is removed, it's a perfect illustration for what happens when God gives us a new heart. Christian, you had an old, dead heart of stone. And God gave you a new heart of flesh. Right? You can't look at that guy with a, bat, with a stony heart, with a heart that needs a heart transplant, and say, hey, get up and run. You need more exercise. 
He physically can't do it. He needs a new heart. Christian, we needed a new heart. And God at salvation did what we could not do for ourselves and fixed the deepest problem of our sinful condition that put us at enmity with him, earned us eternity in hell, and ultimately fills us with a misery and a death that you didn't even know. If, all, if we all needed heart transplants, right? If you were just in a heart transplant ward and you looked around and there were no, no healthy hearts, you might think, oh, well, that's normal. This is, just, this is just what life is like. Then, when you get a heart transplant, you can see just how filled with death your old life was. And that's what God did to you, Christian. He saved you. He took out your old dead heart did that for me. He replaced it with a new heart. You were born again. You're a new creation. It's John 3, 3, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And God's given you a new heart. At regeneration, God declared us righteous. And he changed us from the heart. Right? He, paid, he covered your old sins, replaced them with righteousness, and took your sinful heart and put it on one that could, for the first time, pursue righteousness. For the first time, you have the ability from the heart to obey God. You have the ability to love God from the heart. We still live in a mixed condition, right? We still have our sinful flesh. We're able to sin. But we have new hearts, and for the first time, you're able not to sin at salvation. You're able to please God. You're now able to shepherd your heart from sin to God. So get this. Shepherding your heart, guarding your heart, it is not, cannot be behavior modification. Right? If you mean in your mind, I need to shepherd my heart by trying harder to do better. You might mean that. You must not mean that. The heart is the inner you changed fundamentally at salvation. We're going to learn more of what that means. But if you ever think, if you have ever thought, and I know I have, oh, I need to shepherd my heart. And what I practically do doesn't touch the heart, but it's all about I need to try harder, do better. You've missed the point. You do need to try harder. You actually need to shepherd your heart. But, it, but the focus is not on the water only flowing from the heart, but it's on the heart from which the water flows. We used to be slaves to sin because our heart was sinful. We used to be disobedient from the heart, right? Open up to Romans 6.17. Romans 6.17 tells us what God's done. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. <clears throat> Romans 6.17 Thanks be to God. Let's, let's stop right there. Thanks be to God. That's something that Paul Paul's totally appropriate here. He is a, about to tell us that God changed him, changed us from the heart. He's giving us deep theology. Right? You, you're hearing theology right now. You're hearing what God has done for you. 
you might be tempted to be like, okay, I've heard this, I know that. You know, that, that's regeneration. I have a theological category for that. And you might even be able to, to teach a lesson on it. You, we have to have this response that Paul has. Whenever God reveals himself, or when God reveals what he does, when he comes in contact with humanity in his word, worship. Right, don't. You're, you're all reading your Bible every day, I hope. And if you're not, I hope that today helps drive home the importance of doing that. No leapfrog over the heart. Don't rely on yesterday's time in the Word for success for today. But when you read God's Word, look for what does this reveal about God? What did we just learn? What did this reveal about God? He is gracious. That he is powerful to change dead hearts. That He doesn't want behavior modification merely, but He wants us to have hearts that can love Him, serve Him, glorify Him. We, we can go deeper here, but what, when, when you something here is revealed about God and his word, don't ever say, I know that, I want something new, and move on. When God reveals something, even if it's the same thing that he revealed about himself yesterday, the day before, and the day before that, say thanks be to God. We're going to get more about that later, but Paul's response here is appropriate. Thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin, you've become, underline this, highlight it, do whatever, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. So John Flavel, the 17th century Puritan, in a book that we have on the book table called Keeping the Heart. He said, The heart of man is his worst part before salvation, and it's his best part afterwards. Praise God. Thank God for that. Seriously, stop right now and in your heart, praise God and thank God for his regenerating work in your heart. Many of this is old news, a theological truth with which you're familiar. And familiarity can rob us of the opportunity to worship. We oftentimes aren't thankful for the things with which we're most familiar. Think about that. The air that you breathe, the fact that your heart's pumping right now. If you're married, your spouse, your kids. Sometimes you actually find yourself grumbling about the greatest blessings with which you're most familiar. MacArthur said it well. He said, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The Bible's full of glorious truths that blaze like the sun on your heart. Some of the hardest people with the hardest hearts can be those who sit in front of God's word every day are unmoved by these truths. We can't be those people. Fight today and every day that as you sit under the blazing hot magnificent truths from God's word that your heart would be like soft wax 
melting before its radiance. Instead of clay, it only grows more hard by familiarity. Every Sunday morning, before you come to church, you're going to sit and hear God's word preached to you. You're going to sing the glorious truths of the cross, of the gospel, of who God is, maybe the same songs that you've sung a hundred, a thousand times before. You're in danger of disengaging your heart, in danger of even growing hard to truths. Have you ever sung a song that at one time you wept when you cried, when you, when you sang it, and now you can sing it without thinking? I once was lost. Dark of night, thought I knew the way. Next time you sing that song, don't just sing the words because you know them. Thank God that your heart would be in soft wax before the truth of who God is and what he's done for you. I'll tell you what, no part of scripture doesn't reveal God. Maybe more clearly, everything in scripture reveals God. Scripture is not merely a book of history the book of rules, it is God's revelation of himself to us. So, I'm in First Kings, in our small group, we're studying through the Bible, one book every three weeks. Sweet. Sometimes you're, you're in passages of scripture that aren't quite as clear. And I'll tell you what, if, if every time you open up God's word, you say, and you should do this, every time you open up God's word, have a pencil in your hand, or a keyboard in your lap or something, but ask yourself of the text, what does this reveal about God? Don't get up in the morning. Don't finish your time in God's word until you can in one sentence or more say, what does this text reveal about God? Or you could say, what does this text reveal about when God and mankind come into contact? And then... Right from that, you, you will probably see implications for your life. Like, you'll see application. But before you seek to apply the answer to those questions, worship. If you do that, if you fight to do that, if you beg God to help you do that, I promise you, you'll never have any boring days in God's Word. And if you fight to write, not just think, if you think your thoughts can remain nebulous, but if you fight with pencil in hand or keyboard on lap to actually write a sentence, what does this reveal about God? I promise if somebody asks you at 4 p.m., what did you read in God's Word? You'll remember. It's a, it's a sweet practice to help shepherd your heart to God and His Word. And it gets to the core of what Paul does here. Thanks be to God. So, anyway, that was a not really in the message, but that's a maybe an important heart shepherding rule. But um, the change that God brings us in the gospel, back to, to Romans 6, it's not superficial. And if you're a Christian, you've been changed from the very core of who you are. You've been changed from your wellspring, right? Let everything else that you do today let everything that you learn from this message, everything that you resolve to do, let it sit under the shadow of that massive truth of the gospel. Puritan pastor Richard Baxter wisely advised the church. 
This is in your in your outline. He said, "Till the spirit has regenerated the soul, all outward religion it will be a dead and pitiful thing." To make up a religion of doing or saying something that's good, while the heart is void, empty of the spirit of Christ and sanctifying grace, it's the hypocrite's religion. But praise God, he has no interest in religion. That through the gospel, by Jesus' work at the cross, God gives you a new heart. I'm belaboring this point because we can't move on from it. Because the fact that God had to change you from the heart the fact that that's what God's interested in, and the fact that we're commanded to guard our heart, to love him from the heart. We used to be slaves to sin from the heart. Now we're slaves to righteousness from the heart. The Christian religion is not about doing. It's not about behavior. Primarily, you must do good. You must obey. But that's not where it starts. That's the pharisaical religion that God's going to be glorified to judge. So if you're not a Christian and you're here just doing religious things, I think I'm going to clean myself up by coming to church. I think God will think good of me from Wellspring. You might not think your thoughts quite as gross as that. But but it's, we can fall into that trap. Man, I've, I really had a bad year last year. I think I need, need a little more church in my life. You know, I, I had a bad day yesterday. Maybe I'll... Maybe I'll read the Bible today and have a better one today. As if I need to make up for the bad yesterday by a little good today and you're aiming in the, in the, in the right direction. Don't do that. God changed you from the heart. And if you're not changed from the heart, if this all sounds foreign to you, and you're like, wow, I'm not doing this from the heart um, at all. I, I, God wants change you from the heart. He will not deny you. Turn to him in faith. Cling to him. Ask him to, to give you faith, to change you from the heart, to wash you from your sins, and to make you for the first time able to love him. He will. If that's you, talk to me. Talk to Sarah. Talk to somebody here. Mom, Lori. Um, but please don't walk out of here saying, oh man, I need to do better. And miss your heart. Christian, your, your heart is precious not only because it's the source from which all your life flows, but also because it was made new in the gospel. So imagine a city with a poisoned well. We're almost to break time. Hang with me for a few minutes. Imagine a city with a poisoned well. What would that city look like? A lot like that heart transplant ward, right? It would, the city couldn't flourish. In fact, the city would only be full of death. That would be the norm in the city. They wouldn't even know that they were dead or dying, right? But then one day, the good king comes in, provides clean water, a new wellspring, the old well was full of poison, and this new one, for the first time, has fresh water. Immediately, those who drank from that well would be full of life. Those who were once made weak, anemic, and dying from poison had a taste of that which they never knew, pure water. Those people would know the importance of guarding the wellspring. 
They would know the effects of a tainted well. They wouldn't want to go back to that well. They would know the joys of purity. You know what those people would never ask? They would never say, I wonder how much poison we could let back into this new well. I wonder how much poison we could let in this water and still be okay. No, they would guard that well with all vigilance. Above all else, because they know that their very lives and their joy depended on it. Christian, were those people. Our hearts were unmixed in their sinfulness. Our hearts were wholly devoted to sin. And at salvation, for the very first time, you can glorify God and not sin from the heart. So guard your heart. In light of this illustration, this will be the last thing before we break. In light of this illustration, consider this quote from Charles Spurgeon. And as I read, consider your wellspring disciplines. The poison of the soul is only sin. And this is like poison in many respects. Poison, wherever it enters, it doesn't stay there, but it diffuses itself all over the body. And it doesn't stop until it's infected all. Such is the nature of sin. Enter where it will, it creeps from one member of the body to another, from body to soul, till it has infected the whole man. And then from man to man, till the whole family. It stays not there, but it runs like a wildfire from family to family, till it has poisoned a whole town, and so a whole country, and a whole kingdom. Woeful experience proves this true. The poison of sin, especially in the Christian's heart, it will seek to destroy you. Sin is not content to destroy you merely. If you don't guard your heart from sin, it'll seek to destroy your home. And then your ministry, all in the church that you touch, your sin in your heart affects those in your small group. Your sin in your heart affects this church. We can't even begin to estimate the effects that it'll have on your, on your life, your home, this church, and maybe even beyond. So that's why we say discipline one comes before discipline two. And as you live out discipline two, you don't get to say, oh, I practiced discipline one this morning, let's do discipline two now. Right? Discipline one, all the time. As you live out discipline two, as you're caring for your home, you're caring for your heart. As you're caring for your ministry, you're caring for your heart. I can't stand up here and teach this lesson saying, good, I, I cared for my heart when I wrote it. I need to be caring for my heart now. My sin affects you. Your sin affects me. We can't play leapfrog over, over our hearts. And if we do, 
if we think, I think I can handle that sin. There's a sin over here. I don't really want to confess it. I don't really want to repent from it. I'll shepherd all the rest of my heart and still be involved in caring for my home, caring for my ministry. That sin, you cannot compartmentalize it. Right? Think of the blood in your heart. You don't have like little pockets of blood somewhere that your blood goes everywhere. You can't get a well and be like, here, I'm going to put a dropper of poison. You poison, stay over here. I'm going to drink from this side. Right? It diffuses through the whole thing. The Bible talks a lot about purity of heart. Have you ever thought of what that means? What's purity mean? Characterized by one thing. You can't have a pure heart while you're adding something of another nature to it. Right? If you want a pure heart, purely devoted to God, we're going to get there next. You can't be like, I'm going to add some sin. I'm going to keep it 90% pure, 80% pure. There's, there's not a command that says, keep your heart sort of pure, pretty pure. The, the, the heartbeat, the, the desire of the Christian is, how can I keep my heart pure to God? Ultimately, that's not going to happen until he returns. But right now, is you cannot ask yourself, how much poison can I let back into this wellspring? And be okay. So let's break. And while you break, just have in the back of your mind, what sin are you content to dabble with? What sin needs to be confessed and repented of today? And then when we come back, have that in mind. And you're going to learn that shepherding your heart is actually a lot more than guarding it from sin. There's another more substantial, more integral, integral component to it. But it certainly involves and cannot ever, you can't ever say, oh, okay, I'm going to, the next part is guard your heart to God. You can't say, oh, I, I'm content to let sin around and I'm only going to pursue God. You have to guard your heart from sin. So everything that we were just talking about, right? If, if you labored that point. You're probably tired of hearing it. The heart is the wellspring of life. It is so important. That naturally leads to the command. Right, he almost, if you think deeply on just that statement, the heart's the wellspring of life, you almost figure out all the rest of the verse. It just comes naturally. If the heart is truly the wellspring of life, you need to guard it. Right? And so sin is the poison. Purity is to be protected, so guard your heart. It's a command, it's an imperative, it's something that's not optional, it's not merely a suggestion. The word used here for guard, watch, keep, that Hebrew word is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to describe an alert sentry, like a, a guard on a watchtower, on a, like on a Judean mountainside, guarding a city's valuable resources. A city that's dependent on pure water. Right, especially in the ancient world, but even today, without water you can't have a city. And a city that's dependent on a single pure water source would obviously place sentries around that spring to protect the purity of the water. An enemy that wanted to destroy that city, where would they attack? They'd go for the water. You think your enemy is trying to attack? So city at war, 
would have guards always on watch, knowing that a very real threat could appear at any moment. So how are you to guard your heart? You, if you were thinking over that break, maybe sorry to ruin your break, if you were thinking over that break on, on the sin you've been dabbling with, the sin that's been poisoning your wellspring, you might be like pleading, I need to be rid of this sin. I need to guard my heart. How do I do it? How can I keep the source of my life pure? I hope that's the, the cry of your heart when you're faced with sin. But you're not first and most concerned about the consequences of the sin, but you're concerned about what that sin reflects in your heart and how that sin is, is affecting your heart. And you might cry out, Turn with me to Psalm 119, verse 9. <coughs> Psalm 119, verse 9. <coughs> this is probably actually the key verse for today. If you walk away with anything about the word shepherd your heart, this is actually what you need to walk away with, is what Psalm 119 teaches. Psalm 119, verse 9, David asks exactly the question that we are asking. Maybe that Solomon's son would ask. Hopefully that Solomon asked his dad. How can a young man keep his way pure? How would you answer this question? How have you answered this question when you've desired purity of heart? How can a young man keep his way pure? See how David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answers it. By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, my purity of heart, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. How did David guard his heart? Next verse. <laughs> yeah, we can keep going the whole, the whole chapter. We can keep going. Eleven tells you how. How? Read it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Yeah. So how do we get the word in the heart? By daily reading. You can't get the word in your heart apart from actually putting your heart in front of God's word. And what's the goal when you do that? The Pharisees, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. And he said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. But you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You can get your heart in front of God's word and not get the God of the word. I think it's John 6. I just did that off the top of my head. I think it's like John 6, middle of the chapter. Maybe 50-ish. But um, David guarded his heart with God's word. Like you said, you can't guard your heart with God's word apart from getting your heart in front of God's word. But even more than that, David guarded his heart by seeking God through his word. 
in my whole heart I seek you. As you guard your heart, you will be protecting it from evil, right? We talked about don't let sin in. But you can't think first and most guarding your heart is keeping sin out. It must, it must be keep sin out. But first and most, while you're careful to fight temptation, while you think, like while you're not letting your, your heart think that it can tolerate just a little bit of sin, you're going to guard yourself from exposure to things that will poison your wellspring of life. But we see more importantly and more fundamentally to the guarding of heart, it isn't just what you keep out, but it's what you keep in. <clears throat> Seek God in his word with all your heart. Would you say uh, example be for us when Jesus was here and tempted? What did he use? His father's word. He did. And he didn't didn't rely on his unity with his father. Like, this is an existing thing that I can just rest on my laurels. He actually prayed more than he'll ever pray. He, Jesus was, was characterized by a, a pursuit of, of God in his word. We all know all much more. As we guard the wellspring of our heart, we must be shepherding our heart to the word of God, Right? You've heard this, shepherd your heart to the word of God. To get the God of the word. Right? You can't think of this as something I need to check my box, I need to memorize my verse of the week, if you don't go beyond that and say I need to get the God of the word. Which is why I told you, get your pencil in hand, or your keyboard on lap, and ask yourself every day, and don't let yourself get up from your time in the word until you can say, what does this reveal about God? How must I be affected by it? Don't think about those things nebulously in your mind. Like, oh, this means God's gracious and I should remember it. Or something like, you're going to be tempted to say, I want to get up and just move on with my day. And think nebulous thoughts about what you've read in God's word. Write a well-crafted sentence and then turn it into a prayer. Say, what did this text reveal to me about God's word? I don't care where you are in the Bible. The Bible is revelation about God. It will reveal God. See, what does it reveal about God? How must it affect you? And remember, you come to the Word of God to get the God of the Word. And heart shepherding isn't primarily what you keep out, although you will be doing that, but it's what you keep in. With my whole heart, I seek you. I love 1 John 3, 2 through 3. Turn there. This is, this is something that, that ultimately reveals the power of seeing God on your heart. Right, right now, we are in a mixed condition, right? We, we do have a new heart. We do get to be obedient from the heart. But is your heart pure in the sense that it will be forever? Is it, you, you have the option for the first time not to sin. You can obey God for the first time, but you still can sin. And that sin still comes from the heart. What's, what's going on? God gave you a new heart, but it's still not totally pure like he is pure. Right? That interplay between the heart and the flesh, it's hard to understand, but, but leave it to say we are in a mixed condition. 
One day we will not be. How will that day come? Read this with me. And you might be... Te- oh, sorry. First John 3, 2 through 3. Thanks, Sarah. First John 3, 2 through 3. Speaking to maybe people who don't feel like God's children, you might be hearing this and feeling, man, I, I see a ton of sin in my heart. That's good. You should. Weed it out and do that by pursuing God and his word. But John has some encouraging words for you. If you're like, I don't feel like God's child. There's, my life is filled. I have this sin in my life I can't seem to shake. I feel like I should be pursuing God better. There's, John has, has some encouraging words. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, it hasn't yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Right? So, so the situation we're coming into is we're God's children. We're changed from the heart. We're given his nature when we're God's children, right? Because he changes from the heart. And, and it's true that we are his children now, oh, but we're not what we will be. How will that change come? It comes when Jesus appears. And how? Because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who has hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There is one day in which, like that, you're going to be purified in a way that will make it so that you cannot sin. Right before, you had no option but to sin, and you couldn't do good. Now you have the option. You you don't have to sin, and you can do good from the heart for the first time. That day when we see him as he is, oh, we will only do good, and we will not sin. Why? Because we see him as he is. There is a purifying effect through hoping in God as we see him revealed. And we will see him revealed best now. Where? In his word. How can a young man keep his way pure? Keep it according to his word. With your whole heart seek him. Every one of those hopes on him purifies himself as he is pure. We are transformed, sanctified into his image through looking upon him in his word, repenting of sin, pursuing holiness, hoping in him as we pursue him in his word. One day we'll see God as he is, and in a moment we'll be made to look completely like him. The flesh that so easily entangles, which is so easily contaminated, it will be removed and will be pure. But we don't have to give up hope of purity now and wait for that day. Right? This passage gives us hope that we're God's children now and purification is possible. And we know how it is. We fix the gaze of our hearts on him as we look for him revealed in his word. We hope in him and flee heart-contaminating sin. And that's exactly what the rest of that chapter talks about, or at least the verses that follow. We're purified more and more into what we shall be as glorified children of God when he returns. So do you get this? The means of pursuing and guarding daily, 
the purity of heart, that means that our ultimate heart purification, sorry, that the means of pursuing and guarding daily and the means of our ultimate purification, right? What you do now and what will happen on that day when he appears, they're not dissimilar. They're actually very similar. They're, your heart is purified now by looking upon God in his word. It's not a passive thing, like, oh, I need to look at him in my... You know, there is actually a teaching that's very not helpful out there in the church at large, which is, oh, just tell yourself gospel truths, and the change will happen passively, right? Don't tell me what to do. Tell me who God is. It's dangerous, because there's a nugget of truth there. There is. At the heart, if I tell you what to do and I don't tell you who God is, that's almost... Well, that, that, that's not helpful. That's worse. That's a pharisaical religion. And that will never get you to God. That will never ultimately accomplish heart change. But I can't also say, in sin, I, I'm not going to tell you not to sin. I'm going to tell you who God is, merely. Right? No, they, they, they go hand in hand. As I tell you to change, I tell you who God is. And in that, you have the hope and the ability to change. But ultimately, our, the means of our heart change, purification, sanctification now, it's not dissimilar. It's right in line with the, the way and the means of our glorification, ultimately. So you cannot ignore God's rules and say, I'm, as if some ethereal way, I'm just going to look upon God and his word and let my life just passively happen. Right? What does David say? Let me not wander from your commandments. With my whole heart, I seek you. Uh, David does that a lot, right? You have two statements that mean basically the same thing that are put, that Psalms do that all the time. Those are two sides of the same coin. How do I keep my way, my way pure? Don't wander from commandments. Pursue you with my whole heart. In your word, they're, they're the same. They can't, you can't divorce those two. You can't pursue the, the commandments without pursuing God, and you can't pursue God while ignoring the commandments. Those two things are, are and must be melded together. So if anybody, if you, if you ever attempt it when you're being admonished or when you're admonishing, if you're ever tempted to divorce those things, which I'll tell you is increasingly common in the evangelical church today, you must not flee, flee from that kind of counsel and never give that kind of counsel. Okay, and that would be the kind of counsel that would say, just tell me gospel truths, but don't tell me to obey. Right. So do you see how important it is to flee sin and fix the gaze of your heart, hopefully on God and his word? So again, I'm just going to say it again not overemphasize the importance in my own life and that I guarantee will be the effect in yours of not getting up from your time in the word without being able to clearly say what does this reveal about God how must this affect me right where sin is revealed repent where God's work in your life is revealed praise him where just an attribute of God is made known worship him but don't ever let your heart be unaffected. How must we do this? 
we must do this above all else, right? I said that if you get the base, the core of this verse, that the heart is the wellspring, the rest just sort of happens, right? If the heart is the wellspring of your life, you must guard it. And you can't just do that some of the time, half-heartedly. You must do it above all else. We have a new heart with new love and affection for God, but the flesh within, Satan without, and temptations, they're constantly assaulting the heart, right? We're at war for the purity of our heart. So set up a guard for your heart above all else, not being content to let even an ounce of sin in. Rather, we guard our heart by seeking God with our whole heart through his word, all the time, every day off, no other priorities. Yesterday's heart guarding helps today, but it doesn't count for today. What do you do with more attention when you give to guarding your heart? Right, the answer, according to God's word, should be nothing. This isn't like a passive guarding your heart, like, oh, I read God's word in the morning, so my heart's guarded for the day. As if you set your alarm before you leave the house. Right? Like, you do that. That's, that's sort of like what you do for sort of important things. Right? Your, your house, you don't want anybody breaking in, so you might set an alarm or put an alarm sticker in your window so they think there's an alarm there. <laughs> um, you know, that's sort of, this is actually like you have a guard the front and the back and the side at all times aware that there are threats that are going to assault you um, at all times. We, what we do in the United States for our most important assets, I think we stopped for a time and now we're going back to it. NORAD, deep in the mountains, in the Cheyenne Mountains, we have like our, our defense, um, the heart of our, of our military defense and intelligence is, is there and it has 2,000 feet of granite on every side and there's always monitors out there looking for any sign of attack. You know, they have, um, it could survive a near direct hit with a nuclear bomb. That's what we do with our most important stuff. What would a city do for its most important water source? It would have alert sentries on guard at all times, rotating them to keep them fresh, and it wouldn't put their worst men there. If it did, that city would fail. The men, right? They, they would put their best men and say, above all else, you must guard this water. You must do that for your heart. Right? So if, you, if you're content to wake up in the morning and say, and you know this is when I should be in God's word, you're like, oh, but Facebook. I need to check and see. Maybe, so, maybe something happened. I need to watch the news. Or... And those things draw you away. No, don't get me wrong. Coffee can actually be a great aid. <laughs> Praise God for coffee. Um, but these distractions, if there are things in your life that all of a sudden are getting in, you're like, that is consistently keeping me from guarding my heart above all else. That actually reveals that you might be more passionate about those things, or your heart is more inclined to those things than it is about pursuing God's word. Repent of that and realize that that means that you're not above all else. What in your life might need to change to make it so that you can guard, guard your heart above all else? What draws you away from God and his word? What tends to lead you towards patterns of disobedience? Maybe a, passiv a passivity in thinking about your heart. What situations do you think are you prone to say, oh, I can handle that sin in my heart or that temptation in my heart? 
think about those things. What situations, right? If, if there was a, something that would distract the guards who are on, who are watching that city, the wise king would get, remove those distractions. I, I bet our, I bet our, our military out guarding NORAD, they aren't on their phone checking Facebook. They are single-hearted in their in their job, which is or single-minded in their job, which is guarding the heart. One last passage in about 10 minutes. And this is sobering. You might be right now thinking, oh, Jake, I want to guard my heart. I'm excited about this again. Um, I want to do these things. I'm passionate. I, I want to use guard my heart language in, in my small room. I can't wait to, to go home and watch the effect of this on my home. You're excited about it, I hope. Solomon certainly understood this concept better than you, better than me. He is a wise man. He wrote this. He got to see it lived out in David, his father. I think he probably lived it out for a time. Certainly the beginning of his reign was characterized, it seems, by this. But there's some heart-compromising decisions, heart-taking decisions. He was drawn away from God. For, turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And read with me. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Thankfully, I'm, I'm studying First Kings right now, and there is a little statement early on in Solomon's career, just when Solomon's establishing his reign. Just like one sentence or two sentences, it says that basically he made a treaty with Egypt by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Everybody, so there was, I at the beginning, that's a good decision. I, I didn't mean, I didn't, I didn't know what would happen there. Sarah gave the, during the break, she was saying her kids might say something mean or hurt, hurt their brother. Say, I didn't mean to make a little compromise. I thought, I thought I just wanted my toy back. I grabbed the toy. Oh, I thought it'd be really good for Israel if I made this treaty with that powerful nation just south of us. And the way that kings do that these days is we marry. I had good intention there. You know, and I'm the king. I can, I can have lots of horses, even though God's word told me not to do stuff like that. I can, I can marry that other woman. I'm the king. I can have all these concubines. That's fine, right? I don't, God's blessing me. I didn't mean to. What happened? God warned him, they will turn your heart away after their gods. This is tragic. Solomon held fast to these in love. The wise king started so well. The son of David. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. 
and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. David sought God with his whole heart. What was the effect? Well, his family was not certainly not the perfect example of holiness, but, but the effect on his family was a son who could unify the, keep, keep the kingdom unified, build a temple, unify the nation in Yahweh worship. The nation was at peace. You read the rest of First and Second Kings. Solomon didn't mean to do that. The rest of First and Second Kings. Not only did Solomon's heart was it turned away. Within a generation, the kingdom was ripped in two. Wars came back. Baal, Ashtaroth, even child sacrifice returned to the nation. God's word was forgotten. The temple was used for anything but Yahweh worship. Ultimately, God's people had to be taken away out of the land in chains. That's what happens when you skip over your heart. You didn't mean to, and the effects on your heart, on your home, the family, your ministry, Solomon was king can't anticipate them, but they're real, and they're tragic, it's not worth it. And there's so much more joy in obedience. So much better when there's holiness. So, you know, I'm being excited about heart shepherding, about heart guarding, it isn't the same as doing it. Even resolving to do it isn't the same as doing it. You actually have to guard your heart. You actually have to pursue God in his word. Yesterday's obedience doesn't guarantee tomorrow's. But you know what? Yesterday's failure doesn't doom today's efforts. Right now, you're sitting here and you're like, man, I have not been characterized by heart guarding. You feel more like Solomon than you do David. It's okay. It's not okay. But it, it's okay, because you're hearing this today, and you can repent. You can leave here, open up your Bible, and with tears plead that God, that God would grip your heart, that he would, he would help you seek him with all your heart in his word. He would love to answer that prayer. If you need help, I'll tell you, there's no better question that the elders would like to answer than help me. Shepherd my heart to God and His Word. I, I guarantee you that the leaders of Wellspring and probably the, the women around you would love nothing better than to walk with you toward that aim. In the homework today, or for, for this next week, for the next two weeks, you actually get a chance to reflect on these things. Um, the top, the looking back section. Is it a chance to review the lesson? Look back over your notes. Look back over the verses that we read. And I want you to take comfort in God's work of regeneration. I want you to write out a prayer to God, rehearsing what God has done for your heart and what implications this should have on how you care for your heart. Thank Him and ask Him for help as you seek to guard your wellspring. 
So remember, guarding your heart, it isn't just about what you keep out, but even more so, it's about seeking God with all your heart. So in that section, basically what I, what I want you to do is, is write a prayer. You see an emphasis on what I'm saying about actually using a pencil or a keyboard to write things out. It really helps solidify. If, you have, if your mind wanders while you pray, writing your prayers will be very helpful. It's also just a helpful thing. When you've learned something, if you can write it, summarize it, write it, that just means that you actually learned it better. If you want what you learned today for you to own it next week, if you can write an outline of what you learned or write what you learned, and if you want to go, go teach it to your dog, teach it to your kids, <laughs> that, that means that you'll be able to teach it to your heart when your heart needs it later. This is a going one step further. Now, not only if you make this practice when you learn something, write it, but then write it as a prayer. What you're doing then is you're actually gaining the benefit of saying, I'm, I'm internalizing this, I'm knowing it. And you're asking God, you're saying, God, I know I need your help to actually affect this change in my heart. Apart from you, I'm powerless, and I need you. So do that here, and, and maybe try to extend that practice elsewhere. Maybe something to summarize after you hear a sermon on Sunday, or after each, time, each day in, in God's Word. A pencil, summarize it in a prayer. And then we're going to do some water purity check questions. So basically, if you want to say, how's my heart doing? How pure is my water? What you wouldn't do, um, you wouldn't check to see how clean the faucet is that it's coming out of. You'd actually look at, at what flows out of the faucet. And these are some questions. They're in your outline. They're on your homework that, that I came up with that might help you check. In the shadow of the cross, which means not for the sake of behavior modification, but in light of what God did for your heart. I want you to ask these questions of your heart. And they're, they're going to reveal maybe how well you've been shepherding your heart and help you target your heart guarding. Do you usually sense, just throughout the day, a presence or absence of affection for God? Maybe even just an awareness of God. right? Like in your conversations at work, do you have in the back of your mind or in your conversations in your home? Do you have in the back of your mind, God's watching have you ever been guarded from a sin because you knew somebody was next to you? Maybe somebody you loved, maybe your spouse. You're like, you, you would have sinned, but oh, good thing they were there. <laughs> There's an awareness and an affection for God throughout all your day. Just, God actually sees this, and I love him. I don't want to sin against him. You will be guarded from sinning. If there's an absence of affection, even an absence of awareness of God, that may, be a, that may reveal a way that you need to guard your heart to God and his word, maybe throughout the day. Are you daily shepherding your heart to God and his word? And what does that look like? Uh, see, how do your prayers reflect the vigilance with which you guard your heart? D, what lures your heart away from God? How diligently do you flee this? There's some other questions on your outline that we didn't get to today because I got distracted on some other points. But um, the, use those. or What I want you to do is come up with two other questions, maybe tailored specifically for you. Um, a question for me is, 
what app do I want when I have nothing to do on my phone? And we said, there's a quick, there's a quick connection between my thumb and, and my heart. If I have five minutes to five minutes to burn, how do I burn them? What's the effect on my heart? Somebody says, do I launch a news website? Angry Birds. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, but we do. And those, those things aren't necessarily sin, but they might be. And it certainly reveals something about your heart. How can you, what practices can you make with your smartphone? With your computer, with, oh, I have 30 minutes to blow as a family. Let's sit back and watch TV. What do you watch? Or do you watch? How, how did, come up with questions of your own for those two. They're probably not going to be the most flattering questions. They're probably going to reveal something about maybe some areas where you aren't doing heart guarding well or where you're content to compromise. That's the point. Right? And in a church, we don't need to put on a happy face. We all know. We're all sinners. We all have that same dead, wicked heart before salvation. And we're all in a process of sanctification now. So when you fill this out and when you confess sin to one another, don't minimize it. You're, you're not surprising anybody with your sin. Right? We're, we're, all, we're all sinners. So instead, confess it, repent, and say, I know that that sin was covered by Jesus' blood. And I know that if Jesus has the power to change my heart, he would love to free me from the power of this sin, too. So don't try to be flattering as you answer these questions. And then finally, how is your daily time in God's word? Looking back, how is it actually done what God said that it would do? How has it helped you shepherd your heart during a recent time of need? And maybe how could knowing what, you, what we talked about today help you going forward for your next time of need? And then finally, we have some homework at the bottom looking forward to next next week's lesson. So thank you guys for bearing with me. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we can break out. Break out God, just more than anything, thank you for who you are. You would have been right, and nobody could question you if you would have just left us to our sinfulness. You would have been right if you would have wiped out humanity at the flood, even before any time since. But instead, God, you've taken a few and you've made us a part of that select group. We are so grateful of people who you have changed our hearts through the gospel. God, I beg that we would worship you for this. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that that respond rightly, that would love to shepherd our hearts away from sin, guard our hearts to you in your word. Fearful to break even one commandment because we know you and love you. God, I pray that the effect of today, this message would be holiness in our church. It would be increased love for one another. God, I pray that lives, families, small groups in our church would be benefited by this. I pray that you would affect these things in my heart first. God, just be glorified and help uh, help the time in, in small groups here. Um, be beneficial. Thank you for Wellspring Ministry and for all the women who woke up early to be here.